Welcome to the ParkCast, episode 14, Child Death Reviews. The ParkCast is a weekly series that brings evidence-informed child welfare practice to life by highlighting literature reviews from the Particle Archive. I'm your host, Matt Hollingshead. This podcast compiles international research about a variety of official review processes that take place following the death of a child served by a state-mandated child welfare organization. The Purpose of Review, Intent and Perception Every organization involved in a review process has their own unique mission statements, goals, and values that shape their participation and anticipated outcomes. The nature of interorganizational relationships varies between specific locations and specific events, which the literature identifies as a source of difficulty in ensuring consistency across review processes. Nevertheless, The perceived success of these review processes rests on their ability to meet the expectations of the various stakeholder groups. Many writers have pointed to a tension that exists between the dual goals of inquiries and reviews. While they acknowledge that learning from the circumstances leading to the death of a child receiving service is of critical importance, there is a strong perception that review processes, particularly when well-publicized, tend to become focused on assigning blame to individual practitioners and managing the impacts of risk. It is speculated that the complexity of child welfare practice and systems are such that even the most thorough of review processes are incapable of resolving, or even of uncovering, the full range of issues that they aim to address. Further, there are reminders in the literature that a child maltreatment fatality does not necessarily reflect a system's failure. The ultimate responsibility for a child's death rests with the person who took that life and may occur even if all of the right professional decisions were made. Reguerre and colleagues note that in many ways, these overlapping contradictions highlight the central conflict of everyday child welfare practice that balances the best interests of children and families against the expectations of the public. As a result, many agencies try to protect themselves from blame and legal responsibility by establishing formal procedures that outline best practices. If a tragedy occurs, organizations can avoid or assign blame based on adherence to established protocols. Child Death Review Processes Internal Review Processes Internal review processes are initiated by the occurrence of a serious or critical event, including the death of a child receiving child welfare service. Their purpose is to prevent child deaths by developing a thorough understanding of the circumstances, systems, and decisions that contributed to a specific child death or other critical event. Internal review processes are typically separate from crisis-focused responses. However, they can also vary from organization to organization and case to case in order to fit specific circumstances. They are typically voluntary processes and may be based on provincial reporting guidelines. Findings from voluntary internal reviews are intended for internal use and are not necessarily for distribution to the public. The outcomes of internal review processes are intended to identify opportunities for learning, not to assign individual blame. An American study indicates that there is a lack of research into the effectiveness of internal review processes because of the range of shapes that they can take. Public review processes. 
public review processes are initiated by a government representative, for example a coroner, or a provincial legislature following the death of a child receiving child welfare service under questionable circumstances or as a result of abuse, mistreatment, or neglect. Public review processes typically have two primary aims. One, to understand the circumstances that led to a child's death in order to avoid future recurrences through changes to policy and practice. And two, holding individual practitioners and organizations to account through public scrutiny. The scope of a public review process may be determined by established guidelines, particularly in the case of inquests, or by legislative direction in the case of public inquiries. Public reviews are not necessarily driven by an increase in the incidence of child deaths, but by an increase in the attention that is given to them. The outcomes of public review processes provide an assessment of the services delivered against the applicable legislation and standards in order to correct shortcomings to practice and policy recommendations. Longlade has argued that public reviews are not objective processes. Their outcomes are shaped by the biases and interests of the participating stakeholders, including service agencies, government representatives, the media, and others. Child Maltreatment Fatalities Child maltreatment fatalities are defined by Douglas as a wide range of events that include actively killing a child, such as through beatings or shaking injury, and passively killing a child, such as through medical neglect, leaving a newborn unattended, or not providing necessary supervision for children. Although children have always died at the hands of adults, a number of authors note that it is extremely difficult to predict or even determine the prevalence of child maltreatment fatalities. It is speculated that this uncertainty stems from the complexity of child maltreatment fatalities, as well as the overall reluctance of perpetrators, who are typically parents and caregivers, to be forthcoming about their own involvement. Some international reports suggest that the overall number of children who have died in care has remained stable in recent decades, while others indicate that reports of child maltreatment fatalities have increased during the last 30 years, possibly due to better professional investigations. Still others suggest that data regarding child maltreatment fatalities are substantially underestimated. Despite the lack of conclusive prevalence data, some studies have explored the characteristics of reported child deaths. A 2011 English study found four predictive factors for becoming a child maltreatment fatality victim. One, being an infant. Two, being from a racialized group. Three, coming from a family that has experienced a major life stressor. And four, sharing a home with non-family members. While Devaney and colleagues note that deaths due to abuse fall into a number of distinct but overlapping categories, an American study found that 35.5% of child maltreatment fatalities were associated with neglect, 28.3% with physical abuse, and 30.2% with multiple forms of maltreatment. Documented concerns regarding inquiry and inquest. Organizational trauma. The death of one child receiving service from a child welfare organization affects the entire agency, not just those individuals who are directly involved in the case. A 2008 American study reported that almost 95% of surveyed child welfare professionals had encountered an end-of-life situation in the course of their duties. Although a child's death is an obvious and lasting source of trauma, many professionals will be impacted by the scrutiny and pressures that accompany review processes. Further, a single maltreatment fatality can be subject to multiple public and internal review processes. For example, the 2005 death of Phoenix Sinclair in Manitoba is subject to a public inquiry, 
a mandated review by the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner, an internal agency review, and a confidential review ordered under the Child and Family Services Act. Working through each of these processes can interrupt the grieving process for practitioners and family members involved in the case and increase the potential for re-traumatization as case details are relived. Ontario research has noted that practitioners affected by work-related traumas are often more traumatized by the reviews and inquiries that follow than by the actual events themselves. For more information about organizational trauma, please see the Organizational Trauma Particle. Media Representation The relationship between the media, government, and child welfare organizations during child death reviews is defined by tension and complexity. The media holds some responsibility for the accountability of government-mandated organizations and for educating the public about actions that are carried out on its behalf. However, media attention during reviews and inquiries has been consistently described as blame-focused and sensational, encouraging the restrictive risk management of child welfare practitioners. International studies of media reporting following a child maltreatment fatality have identified the following themes. Public expectations that child welfare organizations should protect all children under all conceivable circumstances lead to public reactions that tend to immediately identify ineffective risk management as the cause of child maltreatment fatalities, forcing organizations to prove their innocence. State-level responses to child maltreatment fatalities tend to be related to the amount of media attention they receive. When children die in a birth home, responses tend towards children's safety. When a child dies in foster care, Responses tend towards family preservation. Stories involving the sexual abuse and death of a child, especially in cases of murder, are substantially more likely to receive media attention than less sensational forms of abuse and neglect. Media coverage tends to target individual practitioners and may paint the entire sector as abusers of authority or as naive do-gooders, fearful of intervention. Review Process Findings and Recommendations Despite the unique nature of every child's life and death, the literature indicates that child death review processes from around the world tend to identify similar factors that lead to child maltreatment fatalities, regardless of the frequency of reviews or specific contextual factors. Despite the persistence of these identified factors and of previous reforms, review processes continue to make similar recommendations about how to prevent future tragedies. Recommendations may lack context and may overlook past progress, focusing instead on cases where reforms have failed to have the desired effect. Monroe suggests that review processes and the reforms they recommend have assumed that there are right ways of providing child welfare service and that child maltreatment fatalities can be avoided if these practices are properly provided. Common findings from international reviews include Insufficient documentation of general observations signs of abuse and neglect, decision-making processes, and other case activities, insufficient intra- and interagency communication, limiting the scope of assessments, access to other necessary case information, and the quality of decisions that were made, difficulty working with parents towards various plans for support and engagement, and a lack of professional continuity for affected families as a result of sickness, staff turnover, and annual leave. Common recommendations from international reviews include to improve the quality of service through an increased focus on managing risk through more comprehensive risk assessments, 
the imposition of centralized performance management systems that promote accountability and transparency through specific performance indicators and targets, and additional administrative and recording requirements added to practitioner workload to demonstrate that risk assessment and accountability expectations have been met and to hold practitioners accountable when they have not. Individual Impacts Rather than experiencing their professional and personal lives as two separate realms of experience, a 2010 study indicates that social work professionals tend to emphasize connections between their work and personal lives. This perspective offers a more holistic understanding of professional experience and also suggests that traumas experienced at work are intimately connected to personal experience. It is no wonder, then, that the death of a child receiving child welfare service is widely considered to be the most profoundly distressing experience, especially when the quality of relationships between practitioners and clients and the effects of accumulative trauma and anxiety are considered. Accountability and Risk Management Accountability and risk management practice models are routinely recommended following child death reviews. Their proliferation has been a source of controversy, as they are criticized in the literature for having a narrow focus on risk assessment that values quantitative measurement over more intangible relationship-based experiences and outcomes. However, recommendations for clearer accountability and risk management practices also provide the public and clients with a transparent set of expectations for service from child welfare professionals. Further, Risks can be managed through the skillful engagement of children and families based on practice wisdom and basic social work values. Grief and Loss Following the death of a child receiving service, a child welfare practitioner will be involved in a number of important and overlapping tasks. These may include supporting grieving family members, supplying documentation and testimony for review processes, and managing their own feelings of grief and loss. Due to the time-sensitive nature of organizational responses to a child's death, social workers may be implicitly expected to put more emphasis on helping others to navigate the aftermath of a child's death, rather than dealing with their own grief. A 2002 Canadian study notes that the challenges of navigating personal grief are further compounded by review processes which may, implicitly or explicitly, question an individual's personal and professional integrity. These processes can also isolate targeted practitioners, as they are marked by the all-consuming nature of lengthy child death reviews. Challenges to the grieving process for practitioners include Lack of prior experience or training regarding child maltreatment fatalities Lack of time to process events, either personally or with family members A sense of responsibility or inadequacy Pressure and stress associated with review processes intended to determine organizational and professional liability. A sense of guilt for not grieving enough, especially where the practitioner and child do not have a close relationship. Re-traumatization and re-exposure to details of a child's death during, sometimes numerous, interviews or testimonies. Three key summary points. 1. The specific characteristics of internal and public review processes vary between provinces and organizations. 2. The death of a single child receiving service from a child welfare agency may be subject to multiple internal and public review processes. These processes can take place simultaneously or one after another and are often significant sources of trauma for staff. 3. 
Organizations should be prepared to provide a range of different support services and resources to staff members affected by the death of a child receiving service and subsequent review processes. Each person affected by the event and subsequent reviews will experience the traumas differently and require support at different times. You've been listening to the Parkcast, episode 14, Child Death Reviews. The Parkcast is produced by Practice and Research Together, a membership-based organization that promotes the understanding and use of evidence-informed practice at all levels of the child welfare system. For more information about this episode's topic, the Parkcast, or Practice and Research Together, please visit www.parkcanada.org. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at PartEIP. That's P-A-R-T-E-I-P. Thanks for listening.